this is my first acquisition. Things take a while, you know, you have like these two very complicated machinery. It's like trying to like put gears together. They just don't fit. You keep having like, until finally they catch. Hello and welcome to PodRocket, a web development podcast brought to you by LogRocket. My name is Noel, and with us today is Kyle Matthews. Kyle is the founder of Gatsby, and we're just kind of here to talk about Gatsby at large. I feel like the big news is the Netlify Gatsby merging coming together, acquisition, one of many terms. Before we get into that, can you just give us a little bit of your background, kind of how you found yourself playing in this front-end space, and what kind of drove you to creating the Gatsby framework? I got into programming in college, I guess, to build websites for different projects I was working on. I was like a research assistant. At the time, this was sort of mid-late 2000s. Drupal was like the cutting edge. Yeah, I got pretty deep into Drupal and spoke at several Drupal cons and did Google Summer of Code and stuff. Did a lot of like contracting on my own stuff. And that was kind of like my introduction to programming in general, sort of the web world and open source and so on. Uh, learned a lot there. Then tried doing my own startup, sort of end of college. My whole career is entrepreneurship. That's pretty much I've done in a variety of guises. And then so tried doing a startup first year after college, which perhaps predictably didn't go very far because I had no idea what I was doing. But, you know, learned a lot. And then after that, uh, I joined Pantheon. Some of you might know it's uh, kind of one of the main Drupal WordPress cloud platforms. I worked there for like two and a half years. And... JavaScript web apps was still pretty early then. This was like Backbone JS was like brand new at the time. Ah, uh, yes, Backbone. Yeah, it's been a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, good old Backbone. So we had Backbone, we had Socket.io. We built kind of a convoluted mess in retrospect, but it worked. Like, you know, you, you can make almost anything work if you poke at it hard enough. Some sort of twisted Python API backend. And, <laughs> but it worked, and it was fast, and people loved it. So anyways, had a great time just sort of diving deep into like building big web apps, real time synchronization, all that stuff. And then after a while there, we were exiting sort of the early, early stage at Pantheon. We got to like 45 people. And so I was like, okay, it's kind of getting a little more boring here. So I was like, okay, I'm going to jump up and do my own thing again. So I did another startup, which was completely unrelated to web development. It was like a Salesforce SaaS related thing. But along the way is we started 2014, reactive and open sourced about eight or nine months before. And I saw React and I was like, okay, React solves 80% of the problems that we had building, you know, the Pantheon dashboard. It just is like a huge leap for it. And so started building our product with React and then GraphQL about a month or two into building it like GraphQL is open source. And I was like, this solves like 80% of problems I have with REST APIs. And probably was one of the very first like React GraphQL. I was using Relay too. Mm-hmm. So all that stuff was very early on. So kind of got a fun deep dive into some really significant new technologies that come out, which is like a real leap forward in how we did stuff on the web. And then kind of out of that brew came Gatsby because we had a product, we had made a few sales. We're like, okay, we need like marketing. Tell the world about our exciting sales SaaS thing. I wasn't going to just like use WordPress or something. So I was like, well, uh, I want to use React, of course. So that's going to make building our two-page brochure site so much more enjoyable. Some people build a game to build a game. Other people build games to like build a new game engine or something. 
So I kind of have that feel like whenever I'm like building a product, I'm sort of like trying to build a new framework or something along the way. So Gatsby was like, okay, I'm going to build a sort of a React static site generator that can power a website that I can build, pop into a Docker container, shove in our little cluster, and off it goes. Mm-hmm. And because I've been using React and Webpack and uh, everything else, so I was like, quite familiar with that stack. And so I was like, okay, I could just like take these things and stick it in a package. I just run a command and off it goes. It does its thing. Yeah, so I did like a week of that, built a website, open sourced it, and, and kind of went back to working on product. And Gatsby was like what we now call like metaframers. It wasn't like technically the first one. There was like a few other ones, but they were all, hey, I rebuilt my blog and throw the code over the wall. They weren't like actual projects where I intended Gatsby from the beginning to be usable in a variety of contexts and I was supporting it and fixing issues. And I wasn't really like trying to promote it because I was like, okay, this is just like a little side fun thing. But I was like tweeting about it and excited when other people used it and retweeted stuff, whatever. So I was doing some like minimal Twitter promotion. That was like May 2015. And then next year, January, February was like the second React conference. And so I did like a lightning talk. Just being there, I was like surprised how many people had used Gatsby and like Gatsby. And I was like, oh, okay, this has a lot more traction than I thought. Then when the startup was failing, that led to me saying like, okay, there's sort of this potential to build a new breed of sort of JavaScript-based, React-based web framework that's, you know, a lot more faster to build stuff and produces better sites and so on. So that, that's kind of what full-time Gatsby and led to sort of re-architecting it for V1 and the, and the plugin architecture, the data layer, and then launched V1 in 2017. And that just kind of was like a big explosion and then raised seed round with my co-founder, Sam, that fall, started hiring. So now it's like dot, 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 what's the history? <laughs> yeah, we had you on back in June here, 2021, and like V3 had just went live. So that's what you guys were talking about at the time. I wasn't hosting that episode. I feel like a lot of the cool stuff was starting to manifest there with Gatsby, the incremental builds and stuff were starting to happen where you could just see these like quick builds on massive sites backed by 20,000 WordPress posts or something. And that stuff was really cool to see. Again, I think there's a lot to talk about here, like in the future with Netlify and how that's all going to look. I think I'm most curious about how like the stuff that is happening in Gatsby Cloud, like what you think the future is going to look like there. If you anticipate everything will kind of merge and they'll become one eventually or what that's going to look like for users of one or either platform right now. This is my first acquisition. People tell me this is pretty normal. Things take a while. You know, you have like these two very complicated machinery it's like trying to like put gears together or something like they just don't like fit and you're like you keep having like whatever until finally they catch and so forth it's pretty easy i think compared to perhaps a lot of acquisitions given that like netlify and gatsby we have very similar dna very similar goals we support very similar types of customers the cultures are quite similar the eventual goal though is to sort of like bring the best of gatsby cloud into Netlify, both in the sense that there's Gatsby Cloud, we have like preview for for Gatsby, and we have like incremental builds, incremental deploys, and so forth, which is like a huge speed up. And so supporting all of Netlify's Gatsby's customers, you know, with that, so they'll be sort of transitioned over at some point. But then also just in general, we have some other interesting technologies that we've developed or developing that uh, you know be pretty exciting to see how they play out in Netlify. One is something called like Firecracker VM. It's kind of like a Docker-esque type approach to running code. You can encapsulate a process and have security guarantees and so forth, resource constraints. It has like a really cool feature 
that you can suspend a running process. You have a service which is running and it's not getting any traffic and you can just say stop. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it just like, it just like stops exactly there. And then what you can do then is as soon as another request comes in or somebody needs that service, you can spin it up again and they have a ton of optimizations in it. So it's like it could start running again in less than a second. Basically, the end user doesn't even know. AWS developed this for Lambdas. This is what powers Lambdas. And that's how there was the cold start problem, but it's still like pretty fast given that they have these functions running. So we've been gradually rebuilding all of our infrastructure, moving it from like Kubernetes-based stuff to Firecracker. And it's really improved the experience and reduced the cost. Because we can be really aggressive about spinning down stuff, where before we had to be like, ah, oh, the spin-up cost is kind of expensive. So the long story short is build processes are typically thought of as sort of like these batch things where you have to like spin up a fresh instance and like set up a bunch of stuff and download code and whatever. But what if you could have like the build process sort of snapshotted? And so starting a new build is like almost instantaneous. That's what we did for I mean, that's like Gatsby Cloud. We do builds in like seconds. And that's basically what we've done. And then, yeah, taking that same sort of idea and technology and applying it to any number of frameworks and, and build processes. You know, all the things in Alpha supports is pretty exciting. Yeah, that's cool to kind of see behind the curtain a little bit, as it were. We use Gatsby for like our marketing site. We're always impressed by how quick like the builds are. Somebody makes an update in like Sanity or something and it, like incremental builds are so fast. It's always very impressive. Yeah. How about other stuff that's come out recently? Uh, like Valhalla's a big one, that kind of data layer that you guys came out with six months ago, maybe a little less at this point. What's what's the future look like there? Valhalla is basically, the idea is like, okay, people kind of think like, oh, Gatsby's like a React framework. And... It was always kind of frustrating because like, well, no, it's like, it is a React framework, but it's also got this middleware piece, the data layer, which does a bunch of stuff that other frameworks don't do. And what we realized is like, well, okay, there's no point in trying to tightly couple those. Why not just break out the data layer so that anybody can use it? And so then we're not only trying to, you know, the only people that can use it are people who've also opted into Gatsby. It's like, well, you could use it with like Next.js or Remix, or you could use it with Vue, or you could use it with Angular, but you could use it with like PHP or something like that. The data layer, the whole idea is you have n number of content backends that you want to pull into your site. So you could have like Sanity, you could have Shopify, you could have WordPress, etc. And what we've done with that in Guess with Cloud is it's like very trivial just to say, I need to pull content from the source, and then it's instantly available through AQL API, and you can start, you know, pulling it into different components on your site. So anyways, we're trying to like create that same experience where you're like, okay, you just click, click, I need these data sources. We create the API for you. And then you can just start pulling that content into whatever front end you're using. That's been pretty exciting because Gatsby is used by a lot of people. The total number of ways of building websites is vastly larger. And so there's been a great response to that. That's part of the reason why Netlify is interested in buying us is being able to kind of give their customers a kind of a unified content API. Yeah, it kind of makes sense just for a multifaceted hosting platform, I guess, because again, like Gatsby Cloud always seemed very Gatsby focused on making websites, but like with our larger product offering, it's like, oh, well, we also have this kind of data layer abstraction that regardless of what front end or whatever you're building, you can still have this ingestion piece that kind of builds up this abstraction, puts it all in a nice GraphQL API for you, makes it easier to consume. Yeah. I always felt that kind of data layer abstraction was both a blessing and a curse for Gatsby. Once it was understood by a developer, it's, oh, cool, I get this. Like, I'm humming now. Yeah. But I did think it was a barrier to entry a lot of the time to, like, people who are in the field 
more fresh like they're just not as experienced with it especially if they're like diving into the deep end this is like their first project ever it's wait there's another whole graphql API that gets built what does this do i just barely figured out the idea of asking another service for something yeah exactly it's like now this other thing is going to ask the service for you then you're going to query this api and it's going to like fill in your view i guess do you feel that that data layer abstraction makes it challenging i guess for new devs to kind of come in and get started with gatsby and if so what would you recommend to them For the very, very beginner, absolutely. We saw lots of people that struggle with that. But if you're like somewhat familiar with like web stuff, what we hear from a lot of people is that they love not having to learn the idiosyncrasies of whatever content API. Because they're like, sweet, this is special. You already know GraphQL a bit. You already know React a bit. Then you're like, sweet, like I have this new project. It needs WordPress backend. I don't have to care at all about whatever WordPress is doing with whatever API, whatever. I mean, all I know is that the source plugin sort of abstracts it away and just gives me the data. So what we found is that anybody who builds, maintains multiple sites found it a huge time saving. So like agencies are, you know, one of the predominant group of people that use Gatsby because that's exactly what they do. They have N number of projects going on at any one time and like however many, you know, in the past they're maintaining. And so Gatsby just simplified down a whole bunch of stuff because we, we talked to a lot of agencies that are like, oh yeah, we have Drupal specialists and WordPress specialists. So we have, you know, specialists in this technology and this technology. And it made it really hard to figure out who's going to be available to work on any project because if your Drupal person was busy, then you couldn't work on any other thing else. But Gatsby tracks away the backends enough that Gatsby can work on pretty much any flavor of site so that was really nice and then like also a lot of like enterprises the same sort of situation where you know big company n has like 100 sites built over the last 15 years and like 20 different technologies or something like that and so being able to like say okay like we're gonna have a react component library and then gonna start tying everything together through this data layer abstraction simplifies their life a lot again but on the flip side though if you already knew the backend api it's sort of like, well, why am I going to learn something different? Or if you're building your own backend, that's a big issue too. Like, well, it's a bespoke API. I have to write my own source plugin now. Like, you know, what the heck? Um, and so retrospect, hindsight, 2020 vision, whatever, keeping them decoupled, kind of like what we're doing now, we're sort of decoupling them. That probably always would have been the right approach. So like Gatsby could have been just like a lightweight framework, sort of Next.js or Remix-esque. And then you could have pulled in the data layer if you wanted to, or you could just make direct API calls. That would have simplified the adoption story a lot because uh, if you don't need it, you don't need it. If you do need it, then you pull it in. I think that makes a lot of sense. Had it been abstracted and like another thing that one, a developer had to like glue together and figure out themselves, that might've also hurt you in that like, it was pretty easy if you had a WordPress backend to be like, okay, I can get like a Gatsby site running really, like I don't even need to really know how the data layer works. I can just go in and get my feet wet. And it's yeah, like, just wrote a few things and I don't know, it's working. Ah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think that was a cool thing. And again, maybe there's like some theoretical paths where like both are possible, but I think it'll be in a good place. But yeah, you walked right into my follow-up question there. Does separating them then make that journey easier in the future, potentially? It sounds like you think that it will. Yeah, yeah. Just a quick pause here to remind you that PodRocket is brought to you by LogRocket. LogRocket can help you understand exactly how users are experiencing your digital product with session replay, error tracking, product analytics, frustration indicators, performance monitoring, UX analytics, and more. Machine learning algorithms surface the most impactful issues affecting your users so you can spend your time building a better product rather than hunting through tools. Yeah, they're just like separate products, really. You know, it's like maintaining the data layer thing is like very different than the framework. 
And so keeping them separate makes a lot of sense. So framework innovation can happen independently of data layer innovation. We like it when things are modular and can be put together in various ways. It is a boon for innovation, I think. How about more broadly than the Jamstack ecosystem at this point? I feel like we've seen a lot of changes in the last couple of years and just how it's set up. We've had big acquisitions like you've got Remix and Shopify and like you said, like Next and Brazil and now kind of Gatsby, Netlify. Do you have any thoughts about how we have these frameworks that are more closely tied now with these kind of large hosting providers? Do you think that's going to be a net positive or will there be some potential negatives there that everyone's has a major capitalist ship that they're bolted onto at this point? In the developer world, there's infrastructure as a service, which is kind of the cloud giants, and they offer pretty low-level primitives. Mm-hmm. So like S3 is like writing to a hard drive, right, right. but it's in the cloud. You get a computer in the cloud and whatever. So it's pretty low-level stuff. And then you can cobble that together to build whatever. That was much better than actually setting up hardware yourself and whatever. But there's always then existed another layer on top of these sort of IA infrastructure services and platforms as a service. And these are like, you know, Pantheon we worked at was a pass. Gatsby Cloud was a pass. Purcell is a pass. Netlify is a pass. WP Engine is a pass. Aqua is a pass. There, there's Render.com is a path. There's gazillions of them. And the reason these exist is that for many people, many projects, going straight to the low-level primitives is either prohibitively complicated or just like pointlessly complicated. Websites are sort of a canonical example of this. It's like if you're building a website, you don't care about the technology of the website per se. Mm -hmm. 99.7% of people don't care about the technology. They just want a website that they can customize to some extent and runs well without them thinking about it. And then the content folks, the marketing folks can like do their thing. Because the point of a website is generally speaking for marketing folks to do their stuff. It's not like a developer's play toy. There's no differentiation in your website. It's just got to be clean, simple, fast. So minimizing costs makes a lot of sense. And one way to minimize costs when there's no differentiation is to hand it off to sort of a higher level abstraction thing. Generally, the most successful passes tend to be in the web world, because if you're building an application, almost always you're like, I'm doing something specific, custom, so I need primitives. But the web, the technology isn't the point. We just need to customize it a bit. And so pass is sort of like this middle ground of where it gives you some control, but you don't have to worry about most of the details. So frameworks being sort of adopted by these, and Shopify is another pass. So, so frameworks are being adopted by these passes. And the reason is, and this was kind of my insight too with Gatsby and Gatsby Cloud, is that the question is, okay, so you have the sort of abstraction over the cloud primitives, but what is the right abstraction? What's sort of the right entry point into kind of making the pass do what you want? Mm-hmm. And so like early passes like Heroku were much lower level than what we have now. Like Heroku is basically pre-Docker, Docker containers that ran your code sort of thing. But now what all the frameworks do is you sort of like configure the framework and it runs locally. And then it also sort of like automatically configures the cloud for you. And so you just sort of like write code and it sort of magically makes all the stuff happen in the cloud that you don't really think about. Mm-hmm. And owning a popular framework and building your cloud features in tandem with your framework features is then really powerful uh, way to move forward because someone can incrementally adopt a new framework feature and then all of a sudden their cloud experience gets a lot better too. With Gatsby Gatsby Cloud, we're like, okay, like with incremental builds and deploys, there was no, you'd have to do anything. Like you just upgraded your site to the latest Gatsby version. And then all of a sudden we made it a ton faster. 
And of course, like Purcell gets a lot of that with like Next.js is their like new Next.js feature, which coincidentally is tied to like a new Purcell feature and like, and they've been sort of building like these new primitives, of course, too, that then other frameworks can build to. So they're trying to like be like the sort of pass operating system. Instead of frameworks having to like understand the underlying stuff, now there's sort of an abstraction layer. So like Next.js is sort of tightly tied to Purcell. Remix, of course, is like trying to be a bit different where they're like, okay, we have these like action layers that work with any number of sort of cloud providers. I think they're up to like fastly compute edge just launch support. So I think they have like six official compatibility layers. I think that's just like trend where the framework is presents this nice, simple interface. You're like, oh, I'm just building a monolith thing. and It's doing its thing. And I have this nice, simple dev environment. And then all sorts of weird stuff happens once you push it out to the cloud. Google Cloud, they just released a new kind of Go framework. The idea was like, okay, you have this Go framework and then you kind of write a normal monolith Go code, but it can automatically split up the site, deploy it out, you know, and scale up each piece independent of other ones, which is exactly how all of the new JavaScript frameworks work. Because Remix and XJS, each route becomes its own serverless function. And so if you have one function, which has a million visitors or whatever, you just scale up a hundred, you know, serverless functions for that. And, and the rest of the site's fine. It also has a lot of other interesting advantages too, which is it used to be with a true monolith. There's an uncaught exception, bam, <laughs> your whole site's down. Where now it's just basically just one person gets, I mean, it's well, anyone visiting that route maps or, or perhaps who's ever triggering that exception, yeah. but it's much more robust against problems, this sort of approach. And so it is pretty magical developer experience. There's this nice, simple little framework that i'm doing and then somehow or another when i deploy it it's perfect you know it just works and that's only possible because this sort of like deep integration between the framework and the pass and that's really been like the big evolution of passes over the last 10 15 years was a lot of your motivation for gatsby cloud originally was that you just knew that there were performance benefits or maybe developer experience benefits that the only way to realize them would be to have a cloud offering that could you know be running code all the time as a service yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's just how do you create great user experience? It's just sort of like this deep vertical integration between all the pieces mm-hmm. just to make that happen. Because if there's gaps, then it requires each developer, each team to figure out those things. And I've talked to old web heads, you know, who've like worked on like the HTTP caching tooling and standards and stuff. Right. And they're always just a very high percentage of people never set cache control headers. And those that do, a lot of them set it wrong. And so you just have this massive performance problem that's trivial to fix so when you have the framework strongly push you towards stuff because the framework is the user interface to the developer because cloud stuff is so low level it doesn't really tell you at all what to do so you have to build up a lot so you just get a lot of things wrong inevitably mm-hmm. where the framework is like very high level and it's like no do these things because it's sort of like you're directly doing stuff and it can like tell you when you're doing it wrong and whatever and then the cloud can also have extra enforcements, but also just sort of then responding to that. Anyways, it, it all leads to a much higher likelihood of good stuff happening versus older style passes, which are lower level. And then like, you know, sort of the cloud stuff, which is even lower level. I had early Gatsby talks, the Russian writer Tolstoy, Anna Karenina, one of his famous novels. He sort of starts with every happy family is the same, but every unhappy family is unhappy in their own way. And I kind of took that to like <laughs> web performance. It's like, just in general, building complicated stuff for the web. There's lots and lots of ways to do it wrong. There's lots of ways to slow down your site, but all fast sites are pretty much the same. They all do the same practices. And so how is in a, in a framework and in a cloud offering, strongly guide people towards that while still allowing maximal freedom, you know, to kind of build whatever they want. 
I feel like most devs, they understand that there are limits to the things that they know. Like somebody that spent the last five years working in React and they're like super competent on front end behavior and like weird nuances of React. You ask them to set up an Nginx server and they're like, I can like set one up, but I don't really know how to configure it to do what I want, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it feels like those abstractions make a lot of sense. Yeah. The trick is always, of course, it's abstractions then limit you. And so the question when creating an abstraction is, is there enough people that need this abstraction to make it worthwhile because they're costly to create and maintain and so forth? And generally speaking, actually, the answer is no, like the abstractions aren't worth it. If you look at sort of like the Jamstack space, like what is the total revenue versus, you know, like AWS? It's like, we're like a little pimple, you know, on the nose of AWS. There are billions of dollars and Jamstack is, I don't know, $100 million or something, which is like, you know, it's non-trivial, of course, but you know, and what else is funny too, if you think about it, it's like cloud isn't even the majority of compute spend. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's a different story. So Jamstack passes, specifically Jamstack style pass, where you're like sort of composing together like frameworks and different services, create application. It is a pretty high level abstraction, but it does lead to a very nice experience, dev experience for a lot of stuff. And it's big enough to create its own self-sustaining momentum. Nice. What are you kind of um, looking forward to, I guess, in the Jamstack? Or what do you, what do you think that the future next five years is going to look like? It's a great question. It feels like we're sort of in this maturing phase where a lot of the core pieces are well understood. They're just maturing. So it's like the whole like rewrite all the tooling in Rust. They're not like innovating in the sense of, oh, it's like new in some way or another. It's just like, okay, what if we make this 10x faster? That would be great. And it is great. It's like, it's nice to have your dev tools like pop up and churn through big stuff and have to wait like minutes for Mm -hmm. TypeScript transpilation to finish and whatever. So there is like huge advantage of that. But that's sort of evidence of like, we're in a maturing space, like things are understood, we're just making them better. There's a lot of examples of that. So it's just sort of like the different pieces, you know, there's like content infrastructure APIs, CMSs, headless CMSs, that space is maturing rapidly. The sort of database in the cloud. It's kind of funny now, but like five, 10 years ago, using a hosted database was wild and now it's like why would you ever not use a hosted database it's like how do you set up backups i don't know so hosted databases are like pretty mature and always used Mm -hmm. so there's like frontier stuff so like edge databases is is edge functions are like now there's a lot of them out there a lot of people are starting to experiment with them or use them but yeah we really need some way of synchronizing data or subsets of data to edge databases so that like you can not just do transforms at the edge but like actually query data and whatever and there's a ton of people working on that. I'm really interested in sort of like local first uh, type approaches where the application data lives in the browser mm-hmm. and then is synchronized to authoritative backends and to other users. Because I mean, I've been experimenting a decent bit the last few months. And it's just such a pleasant way of building an application because like everything is just like read, write to kind of a local store. And it just sort of magically ends up elsewhere. Because, yeah, a lot of the complexity is building applications is just sending data back and forth. And if you can make it so that, like, the abstraction is basically you're like, I'm just reading, writing data, like, basically inside the browser. It's a much simpler mental model to work in. And it also ends up with, like, much faster applications. Like, the, you know, everything is, like, instant 60 frames per second, which is great. The problem also with passes is that they have this DX advantage over the cloud giants, but they don't have a cost advantage because generally speaking, they're built on top of those. And so it's they're like cost plus cost, but it's worth it because it's so much easier and faster. But it's always sort of like a, the Empire Strikes Back sort of thing. It's like, 
what's AWS Amplify or something is, is basically their sort of pass equivalent, but cheaper. <laughs> right. So like how long can like passes sustain sort of a big developer experience advantage over uh, the cloud giants? And then how do they keep like differentiating themselves over time? Because like right now, like the developer experience gap is quite large. Yeah, it's big. It's inevitable that that will shrink. An interesting example of that too is like I recently saw there's a few startups that are building services which kind of set up, you know, Netlify Bracel like experience of like connecting to GitHub and building your stuff, deploying stuff, whatever. But they run directly on AWS. Mm-hmm. So they claim to give you an 80% cost advantage. And so anyway, is it going to appeal to everyone? Because it is going to be sort of more raw, and whatever. And so some people who want like, okay, I want like a really curated experience with support people and tell me what to do and whatever are still going to like, no, like we need the pass. Like we don't want to deal with all that. But yeah, it's, it does start bleeding into the differentiation still again. Yeah. It's a very dynamic space. AI, people are like, well, why do we even need websites? Yeah. Like, just give a conversational bot and it'll sell the product for you type thing. Is the current concept of marketing sites going to survive in its current form? Sure. Like, inevitably, at the very least, there's going to be a content explosion on the website beyond even what we've seen right now, right? Like you are to mm-hmm. Google a recipe and you end up on all these recipe blogs that are just rehashing the same data and putting their ads in there. It's like we're going to see that probably proliferate into almost everything now. It's going to be so easy to just spit content out. Yeah. So the AI mediated, like AI has generated a bunch of crap. So now I need AI to like summarize and condense all the crap. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And so it's like the AI wars have begun. But like whenever there's like more crap, then like people who have carefully, really thoughtful, really well-designed stuff then stand out even more, which is kind of like, you know, it's sort of like the Amazon versus Shopify. Everything's here and it's all sort of like presented in sort of a generic way, which is great when you're like looking for a new cut measure or something for your kitchen. You don't want some differentiated thing. But Shopify is like, hey, we're the opposite of that. We're like these like really awesome companies building amazing products that are like going to change your life and so that's why shopify's investing in remix because they're like we want to help people create these incredible marketing sites that are dynamic and immersive and have video and whatever do whatever you want because that's how they're differentiating from amazon like amazon's generic commodity stuff and shopify's differentiated high-end design uh, stuff and yeah so there's always gonna be that interplay of the more junk there is the more really good stuff stands out for sure, for sure. Yeah. Was there anything else you wanted to share or anything else you're excited for that's coming out? Bahala, uh, it's chugging along. So I think that's going to be very exciting coming to a Netlify account near you. But yeah, bridges are messy stuff. So it's, it's going to be a little bit. Thank you so much for coming online and chatting with me, Kyle. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, my pleasure as well.